This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Saturday, December 29th, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. What happens when a local union is lobbying on the opposite side of the state union? And what happens when that local union decides to sever ties with that state union? Well, that's the case of Frank Ritchie and his local firefighters union in Connecticut. The Fairness Center has taken his case. In Utah this October, I spoke with David Osborne, president of the Fairness Center. Careful listeners of this podcast will recall the Janus case that was decided uh, earlier in 2018. And that was the case of a public sector worker who didn't want to do it, have anything to do with his uh, a union of which he was not a member. Uh, and the Supreme Court uh, found for Mr. Janus. And a lot of people that I've been talking to have been focusing on, you know, what's next after Janus? And um, even though this isn't uh, too strongly related, it's not dissimilar this is a case where a union is suing another union uh, over not wanting to be affiliated with uh, this union anymore. Describe the case. Yeah. Hi. Um, thanks for having me. This is a case about um, really about the freedom of a local union to control its own destiny. And um, there's a local firefighters union in New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, that reached out to us about an issue that that honestly I I didn't I never anticipated we'd be involved in. Um, this is a union that uh, was experiencing the same kind of pressure, uh, the same kind of mistreatment that a lot of members and non-members face. Um, as it turns out, that sometimes the corruption runs all the way up. Um, so, a local firefighters union in New Haven elected a new president, and the guy's name is Frank. Frank takes office as the new president. One of the first things he does is take a look at, at the union books. Um, he's a, a financially minded guy. He he knows how to run an organization and he's been a firefighter for a long time. As he's going through the books, he, he knows what's valuable, what's not. Um, he knows what he can do to provide better value for his members as a union president. Uh, one of the things he sees on his budget that he can't assign a value to are dues that the local pays to the statewide affiliate. All right, so let's back up for a second there. In uh, in in firefighting, there are really uh, generally three levels of labor unions. There's the International Association of Firefighters. You often see the sticker on the back of a truck, um, IAFF. Then there's a um, a lot of statewide unions, and um, this one's in Connecticut, so it's a it's called the Uniform Professional Firefighters Association of Connecticut. And then you've got a lot of locals, and the locals are really the face of the union. Um, this one's Local 825 out of um, out of New Haven, Connecticut. Um, local 825 um, wanted to maintain its ties to IAFF, okay, um, but the statewide union. Again, they couldn't figure out what the what the value was. In fact, at various points, um, the the local union president Frank sometimes found himself um, lobbying on issues that affected firefighters. But he was on the opposite side of the aisle from the statewide firefighters union. They're bargaining against themselves, you know, in front of the legislature and paying for the privilege of having these guys bargain on the other side. That's right. So, I mean, imagine the uh, imagine the frustration, especially when it's a very expensive line item on the locals' budget. And I, and I must say, on on balance, local firefighters unions um, they do a lot for their communities and for their members. Um, statewide uh, affiliates are often staffed by people who are sort of former firefighters but are no longer on the ground. Um, they no longer really interface with the public. 
most of what they do is lobby on issues um, and sometimes it's not even connected to the to the interests of firefighters these days. So that, that was the case in Connecticut. And so what Frank did, he saw this on his budget and he said, you know, we should just not pay them. <laughs> and um, so what he did is got together with uh, his executive board and decided to disassociate from their statewide union. Um, it put to, put together the vote. It was unanimous among the executive board and then sent an email up to the um, the statewide union to say, you know, thanks a lot for all your service. Very kind email, but um, we've decided to disaffiliate and save ourselves the money. Now, I, when, when I opened this up, I talked about Janice. This is a case where – that was a case where a guy was compelled to pay fees to a union that he wasn't – he was not confident, was providing him any kind of value. He was not a member of the union. Um, and now the post the post Janus controversies are going to be over trying to re- recoup a lot of the dues that are being paid to uh, public sector unions. And in, in this case, it seems that the statewide union is behaving the way a lot of uh, unions in in many states are behaving, which is. Uh, we're going to make it as hard as possible for you to get out of this. Absolutely. So, so he communicates that to the to the statewide union, and the statewide union um, gets back in touch with him and says, "You know, Frank, um, why don't you come out to dinner with us? Let's talk about this." And uh, but they but they in generally general recognize that they have they've left. Um, they all go out to eat. Um, at one point, they meet in in one of the union offices, but the general message is, "Frank, you can't leave." What do you mean we can't leave? We took a vote. Uh, maybe – I thought you saw the email. Oh, we saw the email, Frank, but you, you know, you, you can't leave. No, you don't understand. We already – Frank, no, you can't leave. And um, they start to reference some documents that you know apparently gone missing that purport to bind the local union to the statewide. So let me give you a little, a little bit of background on the law. Um, the default rule, legally speaking, is that a local union can disaffiliate from a statewide or an international affiliate at any time. Now, I say it's a default because there are exceptions. An exception is maybe there's a document out there where the state, the, the local has agreed to stay through a certain period of time or has agreed to do it by a particular mechanism. Um, but the default rule is you can leave what, whenever you want. So Frank says, show me the document that keeps us in for any longer than this. The union says, oh, we got the document, Frank. Don't worry about it. Uh, just, you, you know, you can't leave. He's never gotten that document. Um, so over the course of two years, the statewide union continues to, uh, to harass Frank, um, his vice president, and, and other members of the, lo- the local union. They also continue to send letters. They get a bill collector involved. That bill collector calls repeatedly, calls even calls Frank's and Mark's, the vice president's, parents looking for the money, and then they start threatening to sue the local union. At that point, um, Local 825 gets in touch with the Fairness Center. So we provide free legal services to those who are hurt by public sector union officials. It's precisely what's happened here. So this local union reaches out to us, enlists us to provide offensive support. And the fact is they're going to get sued any day. So instead of just sitting around and waiting to get sued, they go straight into Connecticut local courts. Um, the ask is define our rights under the contract, but as we understand it, we can leave whenever we want. And they're absolutely right. If this case goes the way you would like it to, 
what can other unions take away from that? So local unions have rights too. You know, unions, if, they, if they're going to exist, they should exist to serve membership, not to do politics. Okay. And if they're going to do politics, it's going to be very connected to what membership wants. But that is, in fact, not what, hap- not, not what happens at a lot of statewide or national or international unions. Um, it's really the local that often is in most touch with, with the membership. And that's what's happening here. The, the, the local knows what its membership wants, wants to provide that service, but the statewide stands in the way of them actually providing that service to firefighters. Okay. So for uh, for people who are watching this, who are members of a union that may be uncomfortable with some of the services, quote unquote, that are uh, being provided by a statewide uh, union, they should examine what their rights are? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. And 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 um, local union leaders may know this best. I've talked with a lot of folks who are, um, you know, tried and true union folks. Um, I love them. They, uh, they've served on bargaining teams where they're face-to-face across a table, just like you and I are, with their employer, and they're bargaining over terms and conditions of employment for members. They think that they arrive at a great deal, right? They, they know their community. They know their membership. But then the statewide affiliate flies in its, its union rep, and they come in and blow up the whole scene and create, create dissension among membership, create conflict between employers and employees. And really, if, if the local leaders, like Frank in this instance, were really allowed to do their job well, uh, it would not include getting permission of statewide affiliates. David Osborne is president of the Fairness Center. We spoke at the State Policy Network annual meeting in October. Now it's time for a shout out for a special supporter of the Cato Daily Podcast. James Gentleman, thank you for your support of the Cato Daily Podcast and the Cato Institute as we pursue policies that support individual liberty, limited government, free markets, and peace. Without supporters like you, we couldn't do that work. So thank you. If you'd like to join supporters like Mr. Gentleman, please visit cato.org slash podcast sponsor.